There is something special about receiving news from a distant land. I remember when I was a kid, there was a foreign exchange student from Brazil who was a part of our church. Never forget her name, Fabiana Gonzalez. And when she went back to Brazil, we got a letter from her. And this was like living in Ashland, Illinois. This is like the coolest thing in the world to get a letter all the way from Brazil. And we sat around and read it excitedly. And when the kids' grandparents, when they go to Florida, they always send back a postcard with a picture of a beach that makes us jealous and everything else. But then they always read the back to see what grandma and grandpa have been up to. And of course, what grandma and grandpa may be bringing them back as a gift from afterwards. There's something exciting about receiving news from a foreign land. And I even get these emails from a Nigerian prince who wants to send me millions of dollars if I only give him my social security number and Wait, is that a scam? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't respond to those. Other than that, news from a foreign land is pretty good. But what if we were to get a letter from heaven to our church? What if we were to get a letter from Jesus to us, telling us, instructing us what we need to hear about how we can grow forward? I'm not anticipating getting any of those in the mail, and if we do get it in the mail, it might be a little bit delayed at this point in time, right? But what I am anticipating is that there's seven letters in the book of Revelation that are addressed to seven churches that are actually an old mail route. It's a circular route that was like a delivery system back before FedEx ever existed. And Jesus, actually the book of Revelation is primarily a letter to these seven churches. And each one of, uh, and, and within this bigger letter, there are several smaller letters, seven of them, one to each church, talking about how they should grow. And it's been said this is a perfect number of churches uh, and that each church can identify with at least one of these. I find that each one of these speaks to me in some way, shape, or form. But today we're going to start a series. Let's talk about God's love letters where we read these letters to the book of Revelation, uh, and then we're going to, on week eight, we're going to ask ourselves the question, well, what is, what is Jesus saying to us? If he were to write us a letter, what, what from these letters would he speak to us? What is it that we need to be reminded of in this? And so I know whenever we start talking about the book of Revelation, like sometimes like that's where we're all like, ooh, Revelation, you know, what's going on here? And sometimes we think a lot of false thoughts about the book of Revelation. Uh, and one of them I just want to clarify for you as we get started is that Revelation is more about who than what or how. Revelation is primarily a book about who. What's being revealed is not how the end times are going to go down, but rather it's about Jesus Christ being unveiled to John. John, the apostle who had walked with him all those years and had seen him on the cross, but also had seen him resurrected, is now seeing Jesus in his heavenly state, if you will, is seeing him glorified. And this is life changing to him. And what I want to suggest to you today is that if you want to endure a trial, if you want to persevere in your faith, knowing how it's all going to go down is not necessarily going to be what carries you through. But what will carry you through is knowing that Jesus 
conquered sin and death and is sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven and that He is returning someday. That is what will carry you through any trial, even death. Especially death. So Revelation is more about who than what. Next, Jesus' letters are both comforting and challenging. This is important to remember because these aren't typical love letters where we think that everything's all warm and fuzzy. Sometimes these might feel like a Dear John letter. (laughs) Well, he was written to John, so I guess that would make sense. But be clear, Jesus is not breaking up with anyone, but he is calling them to repent. So in the seven letters, six of the seven churches are commended for something that they are doing well. Five of the seven letters, the church is called to repent. The only two churches that aren't called to repent are undergoing such severe persecution and hardship that they've already basically been, been redeemed through that. Like, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, we have to understand that at some point, we have to understand God will be calling East Point to repent of something. God will be calling you to repent of something. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing that God wants us to repent. He welcomes us to repent in His kindness. Next, what we will see is that every church has a challenge to overcome. We're going to talk a little bit more in the coming weeks about this whole idea of overcoming that's in the letters. But we, here's how we overcome. We overcome by hearing and obeying the words of Christ. It's not enough just to hear them, but we also have to put them into practice. Okay, so all that being said, our first letter today has been delivered via priority mail, fittingly enough, I guess. And so let's take a look at this first letter, the letter to Ephesus. These seals are always so hard to open. It's just kind of a revelation joke in there for a few of you that might get it, but that's okay. Sorry, the preacher humor is bad today. All right, so the first thing we notice about this letter to Ephesus is that it's a two-sided letter, even though it probably doesn't need to be. Interesting. Here's what it says. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. So the angel, it could also mean messenger, Either this is being written to like an angel, like we think of a, you know, a heavenly celestial being that's watching over the church, or this could be that it's written to the preacher in order to communicate. Either way, it's pretty cool. At the end of the day, we've got to remember the most important thing is for us to obey it. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, this is a cool thought, too, because we think about Jesus being high and exalted in heaven is what we're seeing in the book of Revelation. But what it says, the lampstands are the churches. And Jesus is actually walking among the churches. Even though we might think of these as being letters from heaven, what we have to understand is that they're written from right here in our midst. Jesus is among us. He's present here. So here's what he says. I know your works, your labor, and your endurance, and that you cannot tolerate evil people. You have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. 
I know that you have persevered and have endured hardships for the sake of my name, and you have not grown weary. So I would just picture if we're going to a doctor here, and, and the doctor's taking a look at this church and pointing out what's good. Now here's some of the things that Jesus pointed out. First, he, he suggests that their, their hands are good. In other words, this is a hard-working church. This is a church who isn't afraid to get their hands dirty. He's complimenting for that and saying, that's a good thing. Be a hard-working church. Keep working hard for my sake. I love it when Christians work hard for the sake of the Gospel. Next, he'd say that the lungs are good here at Ephesus. The lungs are good. These, these people, they have endurance. They can keep going through trials. And this is important because Ephesus was this world-class city. It was a, it was a banking center. Um, they, they were huge for the time. They had about 225,000 people, which doesn't seem big now, but then that was a huge city. They had a huge temple there to Artemis, which was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. A very pagan city where very few Christians lived at the time. It was difficult to be a Christian in Ephesus. And yet we read here that these people endured. In fact, we even read about Paul early on. When he went to Ephesus, he was ran out of town. And yet these Christians endured from day one. These were not people who got baptized and never showed up to church again. They were there for the long haul. The third thing we see is that their doctrine, their legs, if you will, what they had to stand on, their doctrine was good. And you can understand why. Some of their pastors, Paul was their first pastor. That's pretty good. After that, it was Timothy. He was pretty well known as well. And the Apostle John was also one of their pastors. That's a pretty good lineup. You got about half the New Testament in there. Can you imagine that on the church website? <clears throat> Our pastors have combined to write over half the New Testament. That goes over pretty well, doesn't it? <clears throat> and so when we look at this, we also understand that Mary, the mother of Jesus, who was under John's care, she wound up being a member of this church, a part of this church. Can you imagine doing a Christmas pageant with Mary, the mother of Jesus, sitting in the front row? Sitting there with her arms crossed. There was no little drummer boy. I hate this part. I didn't actually ride the donkey. I had to walk. There was no donkey. We were poor. So it seems like a solid church, doesn't it? It seems like a church that I'd want to be a part of. It seems like a church that any one of us would say, this is healthy. This is good. And from the front side of the letter, it's what we see. But there's another side to the letter. Are you ready for it? But, I have this against you. Uh-oh. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Ouch. You're going through all the motions fine but you've just forgotten this one little thing. 
I had a pastor friend who had a 26-year-old nephew who was doing these Iron Man challenges. Every bit of his body was healthy. He was, you know, doing the swimming, doing the running, doing everything, the biking that they do in these Ironman challenges. And then at 26 years old, one day, he just didn't wake up. It was his heart. He had an undiagnosed heart condition that killed him, even though he looked remarkably healthy. What I want to tell you is that God loves you too much. Thank you. God loves us too much to allow us to have a heart condition that goes undiagnosed. And the, the beauty of this is, is that even in the, in the midst of, of these hardworking people, that God in His kindness is saying, guys, you've got to, you, you can't let your heart condition go undiagnosed. And what I found from being in ministry for 20 years is that there's been times where I've been working super hard, where I've endured a hardship, but yet through that hardship, I wound up not loving God as much, where I wound up losing some of that freshness, some of that faith that comes from, 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 having a, from just being in love with Christ and loving people completely. And what we have to be aware of is that as we're serving God, as we're taking steps of faith, and as we're working really hard for the gospel, we have to understand that the, that the temptation that will be there is like a marriage where there's everything going on and everything looks good on the surface, but underneath, the love is falling apart. And there's a few challenges that are in that. One of them for us is that this is why we believe in every member ministry that every person that's a part of this body needs to be serving. Because otherwise you wind up with the old adage where 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? And what happens in that is that the most dedicated people are the people who get burnt out and tired. And so one of the ways that we keep this from happening is by saying we need you to serve in every area of ministry. We need everyone serving in an area so that no one is overwhelmed. And by doing so, we can help protect our hearts. So the doctor comes in after saying, hey, these things are healthy. You're hardworking, your endurance, uh, you know, your doctrine, all those things are good, but it's your heart that's an issue. And here's what Jesus says in verse 5. It says, remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Otherwise, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And this is so important for us to understand that Jesus is actually saying here, hey, like, if you want to keep being a church, you need to get this love thing figured out because it's, it's, it's foundational. And at the end of the day, we're here to love God and love people, right? And, and we do that in accordance to His Word. But if we ever lose sight of that, Jesus is saying, yeah, that's when, that's when the wick on the candle can be put out. And so He gives us three imperatives, three instructions in verse 5. Remember, repent, and repeat. 
are returned. Remember, repent, and return. Remember what you did at first. Some of you have done this in your marriages, right? You've gone back to the place where you had your first date. You've, you've started saying, hey, like, I, I, I forgot to tell you I loved you before you left. I, I, I didn't kiss you goodnight last night. And we always do that. And so it's one of those things. Remember what you did in your faith repent, which means change your attitude, change your actions. Sometimes repentance comes with tears and emotion. Other times it's just, hey, I need to make a change here. And return to the things you did at first. See, what happened is they were maturing in their faith. They wound up souring. And sometimes that can happen to us. We always have to be wary of this. Remember, repent, and return. Here's a few things that I would suggest to us where we need to be conscious of in this as a church. One of them is in prayer. And in our walk with God, we've got to remember that our, we are empowered by Christ, by His Spirit. And as we pray, we actually lift the burdens off of, burden off of our shoulders and place it on His and allow Him to carry us and to walk through things. And we can do things a lot more effectively because we're trusting in Him. There's a few things we're doing at East Point. One is, is that between services at, at 10, 15 a.m., we pray in this room just off the north, uh, off the north, whatever, atrium over here, we'll call it. How's that sound? I'm new here. I can get away with this stuff. So. And we've been praying out there the last couple of weeks, and that's something we want to see continue. If you want to come join us at 10, 15 for about 15, 20 minutes to pray before the next service, we would love to have you come in there and to join us. Another thing you might have received when you walked in today is there's a 40-day there's a prayer guide that, that goes up to the election. Now, I want to be clear here. We're not trying to get you to vote for any one candidate. I know people here who are voting for at least three different candidates, okay? Some of you don't even know there are more than two candidates in the race probably, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, like what we're more concerned with anything else is the soul of our nation, that our nation is in such a place of brokenness and despair right now. And we need the healing that comes from the church. And part of that is us praying so that we can continue to be compassionate towards our people. Because it is so easy to be despondent in today's world, isn't it? It's so easy just to say, man, forget it. The world's a mess. I'm just going to focus on Jesus and everything else. problem is, is Jesus is focused on bringing healing to the world, isn't he? So that's prayer. The next one is God's Word. And you might be saying, all these things sound really simple, Dustin. Yeah, that's the point of this letter. The point of this letter is that you got so complex that you forgot the simplicity of loving God and loving people. That's what Jesus is writing to Ephesus. When it comes to God's Word, we have more Bible translations. Uh, we have more Bible translations in the English language than any other language has had in the history of the world. We have more Bible studies and videos available to watch with Bible teachers on them than any place in the world. And yet our biblical literacy is dropping rapidly. Why? Because we have forgotten our first love. And part of it is because we have, we have so many teachers available to watch online, which is great. I have mine that I like to watch, and I have my books that I like to read. But what we end up doing is we wind up just in our own little echo chambers of people who say the things that we want to hear, 
and we don't really listen broadly. The great thing about going back to Scripture and Scripture alone is saying like, hey, I don't want to just be like this type of Christian or that type of Christian. I want to be the type of Christian that it talks about in the Bible. That's what I want to be my foundation. And so as we study God's Word, one of the things that we're doing in our grow groups we're calling them, it's a thing called Discovery Bible Studies. And I've worked with kids in Kenya, street kids in Kenya, kids who live on the street who can lead these Bible studies. And it's very simple because it involves praying and opening Scripture and reading and asking God to speak to us through Scripture. Do you see the purity in that? We don't need a filter to go before God. We can come through Jesus, and, and through the Bible, we can hear directly from God. But sometimes it's easier just to take the easy button, push the easy button. I just want to listen to what this guy has to say, or what this gal has to say. That's okay, but man, the bread and butter is right here in God's Word. Next, in worship. And man, this is so difficult. For those of you who are worshiping from home, and notice I didn't say watching from home, I said worshiping from home, because you're a part of the service too. Like, I know when we were worshiping from home, when we were in Omaha, like, it was so easy to get distracted because there's all these pop-ups coming up and all these notifications and everything else. So easy for us to get distracted in here too. So easy for us to prioritize other things over worship. Oh, we got the kids' activities, or we got this going on, we got that going on. And I'm not saying that you got to be here 52 Sundays out of the year, but it needs to be your number one priority on a Sunday morning is worshiping in community, whether you're in person or online because of the pandemic. And like I, I hear a lot of times, like, you know, I know with kids, and we got young kids now, and it's tough because there's so many things going on. But like, you know, a kid's activity shouldn't be an excuse to get out of church. Church should be your, your excuse for getting out of kids' activities. Okay? And finally, focus on loving others. And through this trying season, it's so important that we recognize that we have to love others. Like, we have to be intentional about loving others. Like, I have to ask myself when, when I meet, you know, like when I meet a neighbor or when I come across someone that I know that I don't get along with very well, that it's just a conscious thing that I ask myself instead of, oh boy, here we go again. I have to say, God, help me to love this person. God, help me to love him. When, when that crazy person on Facebook that has the opposite political ideology of yourself pipes up, my first response should be, God, how can I love him? I'm not going to change their mind on social media. It's never happened before in the history of mankind. But what I can do is I can let them know that they're loved. Here's how the letter closes off. Verses 6 and 7, he says, uh, Yet you do have this. Uh, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know anything about the Nicolaitans, so we can't really say much about that. Verse 7, though, it says, Let anyone who has ears to hear Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Everybody here got ears? All right, we're good. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is such a cool way to close off this letter because the problem the Ephesian church had was they lost their intimacy with God. They lost their intimacy. Do you remember what happened with Adam and Eve? What happened? They were kicked out of the garden and they lost that intimacy with God because they sinned. And yet what, what, what 
Jesus is saying here is I'm inviting you back to the tree of life. I'm inviting you back to the tree where that intimacy does exist. I'm inviting you from where you were previously banned. Repent, remember, and return. What's it look like to come to Jesus like the first time you met him? What's it come to have a faith that hasn't been spoiled by this world? About a year and a half ago, it was right around the time our daughter Nora got baptized. And it was a very intentional decision she made, and um, one that we kept pushing back and pushing back because she was pretty young and making sure that it was really setting well with her. But every night when we pray with our kids, which we'd encourage you to do as well, it's so valuable if you have children. Every night we would pray um, for my friends, who Tyler's named after, Tyler and Amy Maxwell and their kids, um, in, in Kenya, and, and we pray for them all by name as we're praying through there because it's just important that we do that. And they work with street boys in Kenya, which is homeless children, homeless boys. And every night we pray for them and for the street boys in Kenya. And as we're praying one night, Nora says, Daddy? Yeah? How come we don't pray for the street girls too? And so I, I, I started dad explaining to her, well, you know, Nora, um, you know, in this, this organization, ACM International, we have a five to seven year plan where we'd like to expand this out to reach to street girls. And, and, you know, and like if, if we have street boys and street girls, you end up with street children, and that's not a good situation. So we've got to focus on street boys for now. And, and I look at her, and she's got those kind of puppy dog eyes looking at me like, why don't we just pray for them? And I think God said to me in that moment, Dustin, you're forgetting your first love. You're trying to fix this situation instead of flowing with where I'm going. And so I said, oh, you know what, Nora, I'm sorry. We will pray for them, and we will pray for the street girls every night. And so from then on, it was and be with the street boys, and we'd pause, and Nora or Tyler, either one, would speak up and say, and street girls! <laughs> and it was so cute, and so innocent, and so pure. And then I was on the phone about a month later with a couple who we were talking about going over to another part of Africa and doing ministry, and the guy starts talking about his in-laws who had worked with orphans in China, but they'd had to leave because the government kind of kicked them out. They couldn't go back. And we're looking for a place to go work with orphans somewhere. They didn't know where they were going to go. They'd been a couple places, and it, they loved it, but it just wasn't the right fit. And I said, well, how, did you tell them about us? And so I call up this couple, Jim and Andrew Howell, and have a great conversation. They say, you know, we think we'd like to go check it out. So within a month of Nora praying that, we had that conversation. Within another month, they're on the ground in Kenya, checking it out. A couple weeks later, they call back, and they say, we think God's calling us to work with the street girls in Kenya. <laughs> Next week, they get on an airplane. They've raised their funding. They've gone through all the tests that we do. Next week they get on an airplane and go to Kenya. Five to seven years is what I was planning on. Until my daughter 
and her first love for God and people reminded me God's bigger than my plans. And he's bigger than yours too. And in his kindness, he calls us to repent and remember our first love. Church, God is doing something so great here. And we've been through trials. We've endured hardships. We stand firm on God's truth. But today I want to remind you that first and foremost, what we must do is remember our first love. Our first love for God. And because of that, the love that we have for our neighbors, even our enemies. Because that love will carry us where nothing else will. It's the love that carried Jesus to the cross. And it's the love that will take us to carry up our crosses and follow him as well. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you um, and we just acknowledge that you are our first love. That so often we forget that and we repent of that. We acknowledge, Lord, that we get so distracted. We get so weighted down trying to figure things out on our own. And Lord, we just call to you and say, this is your church. This is your bride. This is your body. You love this church more than we ever could. And we rejoice in that. And we pray, Lord, that as we're busy serving and as we're busy doing, that we would never forget our first love. But Lord, if we have or if we do, that you in your kindness would call us back and restore us. Make us whole again. We thank you that it's that simple to love you and to love people. We pray that we never forget it. In Christ's name. Amen.